Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. first lesson today comes from 1 Samuel in chapter 16, beginning with the first verse. This is the anointing of David as king. Listen now to the Word of God. And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. And I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on, the, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The New Testament reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John in the ninth chapter, and it is the account of Jesus interacting with a man who had been born blind at birth and the way in which the local community responded to that. I'll be reading chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, and then I will drop down and read the last six verses beginning in chapter, in verse 35. Let us listen that we may hear what God may say to us. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind born 
blind, blind from birth. His disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud from the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which meant sent. Then he went away and he washed, and he came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But those around kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and spread it on my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and I washed and I received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he replied, I do not know. Jesus heard that they had driven the man out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into the world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. So some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said, Surely we are not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would, have, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. The word of the Lord. As a boy, Jacques Lesseren had trouble seeing. He was born in France in 1924. His parents arranged to have glasses fitted for him, but one day at school there was a scuffle, and he fell and hit his head on the corner of the teacher's desk, and the glasses, the part of the glasses uh, actually went into his eye, and it caused him to have great pain. He passed out. What happened was that the right eye had been uh, wounded and the left retina had been torn. When he woke from his being unconscious in the hospital, he could not see, and he never saw again. He was permanently blind. There was no light in him. People assumed the worst for his situation. In those days, in the 1920s and 30s, between World War I and World War II, blind people in France had three options. They could learn how to cane chairs and be part of a sheltered workshop. 
they could be musicians for church services, or they could beg. But Jacques' parents wanted something different for him. They wanted more possibilities. They wanted more things to come his way. So they worked with the local school. They bought a Braille typewriter. They arranged for him to learn to read Braille so that through these accommodations, he would have access to the world that was around him. All of these things were done not for the specific gaining of a skill. All of these things were done so that he might learn self-reliance because his parents did not see their son as unfortunate. In fact, his father knew that there could be other things that he could accomplish. And he said to his son soon after he became blind, so he said this to a child, he said, always tell us when you discover something. A grown man saying to a child who has lost his sight, always tell us when you discover something. Amazing. Barbara Brown Taylor is an Episcopal priest and a writer, and she has described the encounter of Jesus with the blind man in John 9 as providing two ways to look at the world. Either you can look at the world with suspicion, or you can look at the world with wonder. Look at the world with suspicion, or look at the world with wonder. The Old Testament reading gives us glimpses of these two approaches. Samuel, the prophet who had anointed King Saul, was asked or told by God that Saul had failed in his mission and that there was going to be a new king and he needed to go and find this new king and he would go and do that. But Samuel had some suspicions. Lord, Saul is the king, and it's, that's not going to change immediately. What am I going to do? How do I have a cover story? And God told him, go to the family of Jesse, and you look at the sons. Say you're there to conduct a, a, a sacrifice, because you are. Conduct the sacrifice, and look at the sons, and you will find the one to be chosen but as you look at the sons, don't look at the ones who are simply the strongest and the oldest. For the Lord told Samuel that I will reveal the possibilities that are there. And I will, from that group, lift up the one who is to be king. We can look at the world with suspicion. Or we can look at the world with wonder. Who would have thought that from that group of brothers... David, the, the youngest, would have been chosen. The story in the gospel has this same sort of dichotomy. Many in the crowd and the religious leaders of the day saw this event as suspicious. In fact, the verses from verse um, 14 through verse 34 is this story that's almost a, a comedy of errors. They People do not believe that this man they have known as a blind beggar would, in fact, be the one who would be healed. 
they call, they convene a tribunal and they call the, the man's parents to that tribunal. And verse 18 reads, the Jews, which means the religious authorities of the day, did not believe that the one who had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man. And they asked him, is this your son who is born blind? How then does he now see? How can this be? This one born blind now sees. You're his parents. You know, parents are responsible for everything, aren't we? The parents feeling the pressure here, feeling the the suspicion by which they were being interrogated, they said, go ask him. He's old enough to tell you. They did not want to be sucked into that suspicious issue. Taylor suggests that the, the attitude of suspicion comes from a fear that retribution will come down on us. There is a fear that there is some sort of negative judgment that will fall on us. What if something is not from God and I believe it? That's the question that the authorities and the parents were asking. What if God is not from something and I believe it? What if this healing is not really God's work and I believe it? Then I'll be condemned. What if there is some action in the world that produces some miraculous result, but it's not God's stuff and I sign on to it, then I am on the wrong side. So much of our conversation as people of faith, as followers of Jesus, is about wanting to make sure we get things right. If we get it wrong, we fear that we too will be condemned. So we fixate on getting it right. In the Christian life, we spend this focus and we draw ourselves into this circumstance. However, there is another way of thinking about how we operate in the world. That other way is to ask the question differently. What if something is of God and I believe it not? Not if what is something not of God and I believe it, but what if something is of God and I don't believe it? How can it be? That is the question that the religious leaders were asking. How can it be that this man sees? But the question to be asked is, could it be? Could it really be that our son who was born blind and lived his life as a beggar, could it be? that he now sees? Methodist Bishop William Williman has phrased it this way, I wonder how God did that. Looking at the world with eyes of suspicion or looking at the world with eyes of wonder, get at something very important and powerful and meaningful. When the disciples saw that the man was born blind, they asked Jesus, Who sinned, this man or his parents? Somebody had to do something wrong. This stuff just doesn't happen, Jesus. Isn't that right? And Jesus responded by saying, he was born blind so that God's work could be revealed in him. 
That phrase is, that answer has always caused me a little bit of discomfort because, yes, the man was blind, and healing him was a testimony to God's power and goodness and wonder in the world. But what about other people who lived when Jesus lived, who were born blind or who could not walk or who had endured some form of distress or trauma, somebody else not covered in one of the miracle stories? What about them? Jesus provided healings to so many, but not to all. Did they miss the opportunity? And and what about the people since then? All the people since then. What about the people today? What about us? What about me? Have I missed something? Is there some fault in the world? I had this question until I came across another way of translating this verse, and it comes from the message translation. It puts a slightly different light on the matter. Jesus said, you're asking the wrong questions. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. You're asking the wrong questions in this situation. Look instead what God can do in the world, what God did in this situation. The ability to imagine is critical in our life of faith, yet all too often we shut out the willingness to do so We close our imaginations because we want to focus on certainty. Now, don't get me wrong. There are lots of things that are wrong in the world, and there are lots of issues that we see. This past week, Peter Werner, who is an op-ed columnist for the New York Times, wrote a column called, After Great Pain, Where is God? And he was fixated on this issue of pain and circumstances that he had known in his life with the death of the children of a friend and other circumstances in his life. And he recalled C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer and and, uh, fantasy writer and, and also Christian apologist. And in 1940, Lewis wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. And in it, he wrote this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain is a megaphone to get our attention. It should be noted that when Lewis wrote those words in 1940, he was a bachelor. He, um, However, a number of years later, he married, and his wife died a very tragic and difficult death due to cancer, and he wrote about that grief in a book called A Grief Observed some 20 years later. And in that book, he wrote, when your need is desperate, 
When all other help is in vain, what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside after that silence? Describing a, a, an experience that many of us have had when we encountered the loss of a loved one. But Lewis continued, not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all, but so this is what God's really like, deceive yourself no longer. This book caused quite a bit of controversy within the Christian community. How do we see God? How do we know that God is at work? How do we experience that circumstance and situations of life? When Jacques Lasserin was 17 years old, Hitler invaded France, and he became involved in the French resistance movement. In 1943, he was arrested along with 2,000 other French citizens by the Nazis. He was betrayed by another person in the resistance, and they were sent to Buchenwald, one of the concentration camps of the Nazi regime. When he got there, he discovered that his ability to move about in the world, his ability to navigate and to, to trust people had been compromised. He had learned as a, as a blind man, he had learned how to move around a room and how to listen to people for verbal cues. But all of a sudden, that was severely challenged, and he could not do it like he had before. And then he realized that his inability to navigate in the world was tied up with his hatred of the Nazis. He hated them, and he hated the, the concentration camp was where he was, and he hated the way he was in the world. Hate consumed him, so he could not see possibilities. He could not find imagination. There was none of it. His hate was so strong that he couldn't do what he needed to do. And it was only when he realized that, that it was possible to begin to see, literally see, the world around him, to navigate the world around him in new ways. If he could look at the world with wonder, then he could find the ways to move, then he could find the ways to make connections. And when he did that, he was then able to engage in relationships with his, with his fellow prisoners, and together, for the duration of their time there, they were able to find a way of being a community and having hope. The power of imagination the power of curiosity, the power of wonder, all of these are critical to our life of the Spirit. They are critical to us as followers of Jesus Christ. When we attune ourselves to these powers, 
then God's light comes blazing through in the world. Then imagination cannot be contained. Curiosity is engaged and the sense of wonder that makes us able to see things is in operation in the world in a way it never has been before. These may sound like good words. After all, you know, I'm the preacher. I'm supposed to say good words, right? That's what you've come to hear. But you know, and I know, that life's tough. We know that things are difficult and hard. In our home situations, there are any number of circumstances that rise up. It could be at work or it could be at school. It could be any number of things that happen. Unemployment, disease, challenges of any kind, they come to us and life is a constantly shifting circumstance. Even here in church, life can be tough. And things are not the way they were here that they were two years ago or five years ago or 50 years ago. There is a current of change. So how do we look at that? Do we look at that with the eyes of suspicion and we say, if only we were doing all those things that we used to do, our lives will be better, our work will be better, our family will be happy, the church will flourish again? Or do we dare to think that maybe we can think differently about our circumstance? That if we look at things through the eyes of wonder, through could it be, instead of how is it so, if we think of it, could it be? Could it be that there is something better out there for us? There is something different for us? There is some different way of doing ministry? There is some different way of sharing God's love? Could it be? As a followers of Jesus Christ, we are here to live into the reality of discipleship and, and service. We are here to follow God's love in Jesus, and we are here to ask ourselves the question, what is it that we see, not simply with our lights of vision, but with our imagination about how God is at work in the world? We look out and we see that the world is all sorts of, there is all sorts of darkness that can dominate our decision. But, but, we also are able to see and stand in wonder at what God has done for us and gaze into the future at what could be. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.